Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. You move on to Savannah, and I got to admit, when I started to see your pictures and stuff roll through, I, I love Savannah. I'm only four and a half hours probably from Savannah, and my tattoo artist used to be in Savannah. Now she's a little bit further in Bluffington, South Carolina, so it get, it's given me an opportunity to kind of go through that area more now than I, I used to, and man, it really, every time I see like video from that, like the, the trees, the way they look mm -hmm. right now and, and the graves and everything, it just always reminds me how special that town is, especially in the South, because so much of the South was like burned down, like big cities and stuff, you know, during the, the Civil War. I'm curious, was this your first time visiting? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's the whole thing. This trip has been a ton of people who have been watching me confined to New England for so long, you know, and I went to LA and I had a lot of people like, wow, I can't believe you made it to California. And so now I'm moving into these other areas. Like the first time I went to Virginia, someone commented and they're like, I can't believe you're here. So when I go to Eureka Springs, people are like, oh my gosh, you made it. Like, we're so happy you finally, we, because people want to bring me. They're like, I've seen what you do. And I want to, I want to bring that over here. So making it to Savannah, people were like, you made it, you manifested <laughs> Like you're finally here. So um, yeah, it was really cool. And it's crazy because it's not too terribly far. I just, I don't know why. I just never felt like the right time or realistic. Um, and then the opportunity came up to investigate this property. And it was also the filming site for a location. Uh, I got to check out the town. It's surreal. Um, the architecture is there. How much intact Victorian architecture um, just makes it really special in its own. And the Spanish moss, moss hanging from the trees, that's new for me. I've never seen that. I, I've been confined to the north and east coast for so long. And um, I haven't been far enough south. So just a little culture shock being, um, you know, in Eureka Springs even, you know, you're really far south as well. And I'm not used to south yeah. things. Yeah, no, things. The I statues, did you see like the statues and stuff and read like some of the wording? Like, it's wild. They have statues of indigenous people, but the the way that it's not mm -hmm. the most like PC language that they use because it's stuff from like, you know, early 1900s and stuff. And it is really jarring to just see some of that, you know, and it'd be part of like this historical reference. I saw a Confederate flag the size of, the size of my car in North Carolina today. I'm like, I have never seen anything like that. Like, I have nothing to say. I'm just saying it exists and I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, I've been calling this the season of the South and my friends have been laughing because I'll call them and I'll, I'll say, these people out here, you know, it's just, it's different. And, and I grew up in a coal mining area. So it's a coal mining vibe. And then, you know, these areas have this 
you know, industrial farming vibe, but a lot of them still use and live within their means. So seeing like people using trucks that are from like the 50s, 60s, like these old trucks as their like daily, you know, go-getter cars, like I was like, <laughs> is different you know there was only you know one adventure where i felt uncomfortable and that was in arkansas georgia getting to savannah it's a straight shot it's 250 miles take an exit another 250 miles so i didn't see much going in that i didn't you know that really shocked me um other than like i said you know you are going to see that kind of stuff the flags things like that. So the Northerner living in the South. Now I've been down in Virginia for 12 years. I'm from upstate New York. You don't get used to it. You don't, it just, it always, it still jars me. It still jars me. So you, it's just what it is. Going to the cemeteries for the first time in Virginia, I was like, really? Like I've never seen so many of those. Um, but like he said, you know, even like the statues with like, Mm -hmm. and some things are done with in good intentions. They just, are you know are not exactly represented accurately or could have used better language but it's like sometimes people would say things and they thought it would be in high esteem but it was actually you know they didn't respect the language quite yet so um yeah yeah, it's been a different kind of adventure did you get to enjoy like any of the like real southern food while you were in savannah or were y'all too busy investigating uh so no i didn't get to explore the food too much um the the guys did we kind of like would split off during the day and then come back for the investigation um we all have different things that we want to see the person i was with so steve from haunted nights and dylan it's steve used to live there so he's not going to want to see the things that i'm going to see and stuff so um you know i went through the cemeteries and then i ate at a place called fox and fig and i had it's a vegan restaurant and i had banana bread french toast so it was like banana bread fried like french toast it was so good um but i really didn't get a chance to explore um we did spend a lot of time at the house and then would go out like in the morning but the house definitely took a lot out of us so the house that i was invited to investigate because we haven't formally introduced it here yet is the site of the filming for a savannah haunting now the film is not at all a representation of what actually occurred in the property. So for those interested in the film, it is going to have nothing to do with what actually transpired. The producer Alexis reached out to us and said they had this location. The owner, Mark, grew up in the home. He still lives in the home. So he had actually moved out and then he's moved back into the home in adulthood and the activity started amping back up, but they had it happening when he was living there in the 70s with his family so this has been happening over a timeline and it has been discussed as being haunted long before the film was produced so he moves back in and they're experiencing activity and it inspires them to write the script and they write the script produce the film as they're filming they have activity So the house is getting more and more charged from this. They say when the film's watched in the home, it'll exacerbate activity. And they have all of these things going on. And, um, you know, Mark lives there. He wants to kind of figure out more about what's going on. Very few people have actually come in and investigated. So you've had live investigators come in. Claudia was actually there shortly before I I was. He he went there before uh, Eureka Springs, I went after. And he did some live investigations. They have some evidence that they 
pulled from it that the producers, not Kalani, um, he has his own, but they have provided us with some evidence um, and video and I reviewed it. I personally can't make a determination based on photo and video. So I'm ready to go to this house. We have this story. We have these alleged entities, but we don't know why they're there, where they came from. The house is relatively newer. So um, Mark's dad actually built the property and added things. He was kind of pulling things from all over. There's not really a, a solid like story to this, which is fine because we start to get into the real weird when you're moving away from the historical house with the dead, the dead lady in it. And it ends up being, you know, haunted from the, the one person. So we have some interesting things going on. Um, they told me that they had uh, one team come in who left after one day. So that's one of the things we're prefaced with. This is a, you know, really crazy, like, um, dangerous entity. Like we might, you know, be touched. We've had people fall down, be pushed, scratched. Um, you know, the bed was shaking and they had to play the iPad to soothe whatever was doing that playing some lullabies. So we have some really wild stories that have been documented from multiple people for all this time. However, we don't have photo video evidence and we don't have, you know, a true communication of the spirit saying we want this and this is how you solve it. Um, which is what I'm kind of writing up for them, what I experienced while I investigate um, from a formal level. So it's less about like social media. Um, so we're kind of nervous going to this place because we're like, you know, we don't know these people. And so my first thought receiving a message like that is, are they going to do something to try and make it seem super haunted or scare me so that I report back that I'm in the most haunted place ever? Um, so that was my kind of preface going into this place. So entering this property, um, it, it almost reminds you of the conjuring house exterior. And mm -hmm. that's the first thing you notice is it has this like dark brown wood that's weathered. It's been through something um, or, you know, it, it just has been in the rain and stuff. So it has that white, whitish grayish wood look to it. And you enter the property and it just has a very unusual architectural design. That was the first thing I noticed before feeling any of the energies on there. You know, you make this big journey, you get there. What is your immediate impression of Mark? I mean, did you immediately start to feel the energy pouring out of that home when you met him or how did that it go? We pull up and the door was open and we're like, oh, that's a good sign. You know, like door to the haunted house is wide open. Anything... <laughs> come and go as you please. Why don't you come on in the old haunted house and have a seat? Um, so, you know, we see Mark, he's, he's very kind. He, he did not, um, you know, try to leave an impression on us in any way. He did not try to infect, uh, affect the investigation in any manner. He tells us a little bit of his story. He says, if you need me, let me know. I'm going to be in the other half of the house, so I will not bug you. And we get kind of settled in. So I had already done kind of a conference call. Mark's stories of what he grew up with seemed sincere to me. And, um, you know, I have to, I, I don't not believe people, but I have to be skeptical of every claim, no matter what people could look at me with tears in their eyes and say, I'm experiencing this. I still have to go, you know, use my analytical brain and assess this. So I'm looking at the specific claims, but I'm also open to the idea that paranormal activity is not predictable. It may manifest in any fashion throughout the course of the investigation and in ways that we don't expect. So, um, there's a lot going on with that. So we are looking to address 
previous claims as well as come up with our new data. So we get settled in um, and you know the, we bring all our equipment in and get started with the investigation. And how long did it take before you had any kind of confirmation that the home was haunted? Mm, well, then we'll get into that. So the first night was quiet and we didn't experience much. However, we were hopeful because we had been told that the house has had many guests and every time an investigator comes in, they're worried that they might not have a paranormal experience, but then they always end up having one. Hmm. The one thing, you know, we noticed is that the windows are open downstairs. It's really cold. Um, you have this staircase. This is something that I kind of theorized while I was there. You have this staircase that's like, it's like a mezzanine but it actually looks like a cage. So think about this outside of the fact of the house having history, it almost creates like this physical entrapment that might draw energy towards it because it, it literally looks like a cage in the center. You've got the stone uh, fish tank running water. At one point there was running water and you have this marble floor. It, it's just a really unusual design. So first night was definitely quiet. We went out, we did our things, explored Savannah and came back for the second night. And this is the night where things started to pick up a little bit. And I chose to do a little live with my friend, Seth, who's a medium. And I was like, Hey, you want to hop on and just see what you feel. We've had good results with this before. And I was like, just let me know watch what you say because you're live and um you know if you need to relay anything that the owners you think need to know because we're live um you know text me after or call me after i don't want to say anything you know that sure. it wouldn't be appropriate or something so people really loved it and it felt so good everyone watched for two hours there were hundreds of people watching this investigation i think it was 400 at minimum for two wow. hours straight watching seth and i simply discuss the architectural design of the location. So the first like 40 minutes, I believe we started at 9 p.m. The first 40 minutes, we're just saying, you know, see how this is designed like a cage. These are the constructions. You have an incongruent nature of the wood. We have an incongruence of the two bedrooms upstairs. You have a floral room that's really cute and done up. And that's the active room where the little girl, alleged little girl is to be. I explain why even though she even appears to be a little girl, we can't assume that it's a she, it's a little girl, or even if it's a dead human, we have to do this. And everyone was like, wow, like they're like finally a real investigator. And I said, no, you know, there's different styles. Um, I just feel like in this situation, we're looking at a lot of things and this requires a different tactic because not a lot of people have investigated this place and discussed it from a um, scientific and documented standpoint. So I'm explaining to them that normally you go in, you know where the energies are at, you know what entities people are interacting with and you just aim for that. Here, we're like, we don't know. We just know what is being claimed. So then you have the opposite room that is exactly like the flower room, but unfinished. So it's the flower room with no walls or anything going on. And so we have these two rooms and then we have the open space downstairs to explore. And it started with just, you know, Seth is feeling this. He's 
saying, I don't really pick up on a little girl. And they've kind of felt that this little girl is there, but without historical documentation, you know, maybe she would have been drawn in. Again, we have this unusual design. It's square. It reminds you of 13 ghosts. So Mm -hmm. it, it does kind of start these theories that were like, maybe someone could be trapped or drawn into the space. Um, The other idea is we filmed a horror movie here that used a lot of fear. It used a lot of ideas of a little girl. People for months interacted with a little girl. Maybe it attracted something that was a little girl or decided to fill the role. I will never push the demon narrative that people try to say, what's a demon posing as a little girl? So um, I... you know, I understand people encounter very terrifying things or, you know, have had things they can't explain in the field. But at the same time, I do think that's the one trope that we cave into so often. We're always like, oh, don't trust, don't trust the little kids. Like they might be this. So, you know, this is what the owners are fearing at this point. They're worried she may not be a little girl. Hmm. We have a video that was presented to us of her in the hallway with Kalani's video where they, they believe that they saw her face and then another team's video where they believe that they saw her face. Um, it, it might've actually been a photo, but all of these are things we can't verify and we weren't there. So we're looking to collect this little girl and I'm explaining this and I'm sitting down on the windowsill, holding my camera in the direction that people are feeling like they might experience something. And you just hear this like loud bang, right? Like right in front of me, like someone threw something. And I'm like, I can't, I can't explain that. I'm looking for it. I'm trying to find this. And I literally stood up and I said, oh my God, because things don't manifest physically ever like that. Like you'll hear like, you know, the tapping in the wall, the heater and stuff like that going on. But there was that physical sound. And that was the first thing that I'm like that. I actually can't explain that. Um, I did look at the construction of the house. So this is a lesson in debunking, especially a place that you're one of the first people going in. It is a burden on us to relay accurate information and to not make assumptions. These are things I know. There are ivy ivy branches and trees growing directly outside the facade of the house. Meaning if the wind picks up, you're going to hear bangs. You're going to hear scratching. You're going to hear horrible noises of wood hitting glass and being like, Mm -hmm. like that kind of noise. So that's taken into account. We have a very busy highway. I grew up next to a highway um, in Pennsylvania to the point where I know when a big truck drives by, it will shake the entire property. It will shake you out of bed. It will scare you. And also it can create a large, loud hum So when you're in between REM sleep and awake, so you're not actually getting that REM state of sleep, you could enter an auditory hallucination. And I'm not saying people experienced it. There are people who claim to have heard a scream in that bed. Now, if we have a big truck going by and they're in between sleep phases, they might've actually heard a truck going by and it sounded like a demonic scream. So we're taking that into account. We have wiring. We have a very unusual setup in the one room with five lights overhead and some of them are burnt out. So you're hearing the hum of the lights, you're hearing the knocks on the walls, you're hearing um, a lot there. So um, I, I have to admit at first, I was kind of like, mm, 
how much of this can be debunked. And we were debunking a large amount of the claims, not debunking, theorizing ways to debunk, I guess is the better way to um, put that. And so we're taking all of these things into account. And there's many things that came up that we were, you know, kind of saying, you know, truck going by fast enough might even shake the bed. And, um, you know, with the doors and the creeks and stuff that were going on. Um, further into the investigation, I was really excited about that, that throwing sound. Cause I knew that wasn't the heater. I knew that wasn't anything in the wall and I was really excited. And then, um, n to be fully transparent, there was a mouse in the house. Mice are loud. I'm sorry. Like, I, I don't know what people want me to do is to pretend that I didn't see a mouse in the house. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's, it's Savannah, Georgia. Like a, a mouse will go to the house. It, it, it's outside. Um, it's an area where they're prevalent. And now I have to say, was that paranormal? Can we replicate it? Or was that the mouse jumping from one surface to the other? It mm. ran up the stairs and went into another room. Um, and again, this is still not me saying the place is not haunted, but this is the level we're at with these claims. There was another moment where I was laying on the bed and I was showing around the room and I heard a knock at the door and I was like, hello. And I opened the door and Steve and Dylan aren't there. So there was a knock at the door and nobody was there. Can't explain that. I went into the unfinished room and my music box, that's the only equipment I was using at this, at this point, goes off. And I said, what is triggering this? And Seth was still on the live. He said, I don't know. I was wondering the same thing. And then it stopped. And I said, it's almost as if they don't like it when I enter the room. And then the music box went off again. And I said, maybe they're embarrassed of the unfinished room or there's something in here they didn't want us to see. Music box triggered again. It stops. I said, if that was you, can you walk in front of that music box again? And um, it, it went off. And I, I can't explain that. So those are my three unexplainable incidents. Um, the knock in the bed. And I posted these two for other people to kind of look and draw their own conclusions. Um, the guys attempted to do Estes later on in the evening. They were asking, they had some communication with, I'm hoping an entity that was telling them that there is no little girl. So we're kind of at the point where we think she could be a thought form, um, either born from the movie, from the telling of the story, from the retelling of the paranormal experiences. Perhaps there was stuff when Mark was growing up there that manifested itself in the property. But as he got older, it cleared out. And now that he's back, he's kind of reviving this energy and bringing it back. And it might not be what it was before. It might not be. We did not, we did not pick up anything that felt like a human spirit in this home. And again, I'm not a demon narrative person. I'm not saying that that's what this is. Um, Mark is safe in his home. We didn't feel like there was anything bad. We can't explain it. We had some very weird experiences, um, over the course of the few nights. Um, but those were the big ones to, to actually have like a physical sound again. Um, if, if it wasn't the mouse. And just to put it into, you know, comparison to the other investigations you've had, how frequent do you experience physical manifestations in that way? Is that super unusual or is that pretty common? When you Almost never. That's why people yeah. are using REM pods and cat balls and all these other things, because to have something thrown, which is what that sounded like, 
is, is very rare. Um, yeah. I, so again, I was really excited, but after I said that, I'm like, I have to just be honest. That is a factor that played into it. And so kind of deflated the music box was compelling. Um, and the guys had a compelling, um, evening after that. The funny thing is we wrapped up this morning and we came in, we were just, that's like, right. We should let the audience know that like, you literally just did this and because For you're three days in this haunted house. Yeah. And because um, you're a so, super kind human, you agreed to hop on after getting to your boyfriend. It, it, it's fresh. It, it's it's a uh, fresh, yeah. 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 You know, he's sleeping, and I'm like, oh, I'm done at the haunted house, and I'm going to talk about haunted houses now that I've been doing it. <laughs> so yeah, we we go to leave this morning, and how funny is this? It, I still am. I'm still trying to debunk the house in my head. We came into the house at. 3.30 in the morning. And we're like delirious because we're like laughing so hard because we've been investigating all night. We're just like whoop, frazzled and everything seemed normal. We went to bed at five in the morning. I'm an early riser. So I snuck out at five. And as I'm leaving, the creepy door to the unfinished room was wide open. So I took a picture and I texted the guys and I was like, did you open this in the middle of the night? No, we were sleeping. Obviously, we did not get up. Like, you know, they didn't even get up till one o'clock. So I text the owner of the house and I was like, did you open this door in the middle of the night? He's like, that door opens and closes. It does that. Like, it, it'll just slam open. So I'm like, is this the house's way of telling me, like, don't underestimate me? Yeah. So still puzzling. I have, you know, I'm going to give them a list of suggestions because the activity allegedly has spread from one area of the home to the other at this point. And this episode of the Real Hauntings Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey y'all, it's Noah Daniels and oh boy, I just got my box of wild grain bread and pasta. My whole family has been so excited to dive in. We started with a sourdough and it was amazing. If you're looking to make Mother's Day brunch planning easier or just looking for a great gift for your mom, you've got to check out Wild Grain. Order before May 6th to get your box in time for Mother's Day. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. The next thing up for us to try is the biscuits with our breakfast. And you can now fully customize your wild grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com hauntings. That's wildgrain.com hauntings, or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. I'm going to, you know, talk to him about setting boundaries because he wanted to contain it to the front half of the own, the home. He has a truce with the paranormal in the home, he says, where it doesn't affect him. And I'm going to tell him, you know, set a boundary, say you are welcome to do whatever you need to do freely over here, but not in the space in which I live. And I'm going to discuss to him, you know, you might experience less if you, you don't, you know, you remove the creature and a few other things in the home that may be causing bumps in the night uh, if you feel that necessary and maybe soundproofing would be a good idea if you're looking also he's not looking to turn this into a psychical research center or open it up for investigations so I'm just trying to find answers and uh, there's probably activity mimicry from the movie and debunkable explainable physical things going on as well um, my impression personally, especially with the interaction with the unfinished room, is that there's an unrest with the unfinished nature of the property. Mm-hmm. So the exposed, the exposed plywood floor, um, it almost felt like they were embarrassed to see the unfinished room, to be honest. And um, I don't know if that was done for the set of the movie. And I'm curious what would happen if the house was finished. Well, they probably knew that they had my bloody Galantine coming and they had that unfinished house and they got super embarrassed. Spirits know who you are. You're going to show this on the internet? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you've you've just had this end to a whirlwind trip. What did you think about Savannah overall? I mean, is it a place that you would go back? Because, I mean, it's, you know, people claim all the time it's like one of the most haunted places in the South and maybe the country. Would you do more investigations there? We did one more investigation when we were down there. We snuck one in. You we, got uh, another one in? <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a really, really cool experience, in, in my opinion. Um, so we went to the the Moon River Brewery, mm-hmm. um, which used to be a hotel, which was the earliest hotel. So that's where we were coming in from last night. So we were kind of doubled up on investigations. It was so bad. But um, we can't help it. Like, And, and I want to go back because there's a lot of paranormal there. There's a lot in the graveyards. I just wasn't done just enjoying the space. Um, yeah. It went really quickly. Um, but we did that and it was a hotel. It was the first hotel in Savannah and it has all of these floors. We had access to floors people typically don't have access to. And there was a shooting on the property. Um, there's an alleged story of it being used as a hospital during the yellow fever pandemic. However, there's no documentation. So again, we're coming in and we're going to say, you know, we might get responses. Um, There's allegedly a brothel upstairs. And one of the coolest things that I think happened that evening and that, you know, I know I've been really chatting because I did too much um, this month. We were doing the Estes method in the basement and I was under And I knew that something weird had to be happening because it had been a while. Like I felt it like I've been under for like 30 minutes and normally you're under 10 minutes and we're like, we don't really get anything or whatever. So I'm like, why have I been under for so long? Like the guys must be getting good results. So it gets to a point where um, essentially I'm channeling through and getting this voice that's saying, reach out, touch me. 
put your hand out. Yep. Over there. And I don't know what's going on because I'm blindfolded. And then I finish with saying, you did it. So when I'm done, the first thing I ask, I'm like, did you guys touch a ghost? Like what happened in that situation? And Dylan, Dylan Stevens tells me that when I said, reach out, touch me, you know, over here, put your, you know, put it out. He put his hand out and, and outstretched his hand and something shocked his hand, like a static shock on his finger. And then I say, you did it. Oh my gosh. I was like, you touched a ghost. That's incredible. It, it was just like, that is the most cool, compelling, like creepy thing. And um, I was just like, we're like, this place is really, really active. So we were just like kind of giddy and had a really great experience. Um, so yeah. yes, would definitely return to Savannah. Um, I don't know why I got so obsessed with uh, New England because I'm now like, wow, there's so much cool stuff down here. You know, there's people that claim in certain homes and stuff or hotels that there are literally just piles and piles of bodies buried under them in Savannah because of the, um, was it the yellow fever that, that went through there, I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, there really is like so much history and then there's like so much alleged history in Savannah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard sometimes to separate the fact from fiction or the fact from fun, you know, the fun facts that kind of get ingested with uh, supernatural steroids as time goes on. But I, I, Savannah holds a special place in my heart. I, I love it. And I, even only living four or so hours away, I've only been probably four times and I've really only explored, explored twice where I could just let loose and walk because it's very walkable um and just really walk through graveyards and kind of see everything and i feel like with the way my brain works and being such a um empathic person i can go see some of those tombstones and especially when you get to like the children ones who you know maybe had really short lives back then i mean it's it's just i feel like these waves of emotion when i'm going through that that um part of savannah but Super excited you got to visit that um, because I know you haven't been to this area. And just for somebody who lives over here and who has gotten to know you, that's that's really fun to hear your experience. You know, and seeing little Gracie, as you mentioned, like the, the children's graves, you know, and thinking about like, does she linger there because she's still putting on a show or is she less likely to linger because she is remembered? And it's the other children, like you said, that died very young. You might feel something because they're less remembered because they aren't the famous one. But um, yeah, I know we talked a lot, a lot about a lot of stuff. It's just all really interesting. And that that's what keeps me going with this is because Mm -hmm. it just seems like there's just always so much to talk about. Um, So here you are. You've done so much in the past 20 days. I know you're going to probably want to catch your breath a bit and, and digest this and, and gather your, um, I'm sure everything you've collected and, and work on your book and things like that. And I love to ask this people like you who, who do have so much going on, you know, we just entered a new year. And even though it's kind of hokey to talk about New Year's resolutions and things like that, but where do you kind of want things to go for you from here? I mean, it's, is there a, a peak that you really want to reach or is it just to keep, you know, doing these investigations and seeing what's out there and, and you know, your approach is so unique um, that you you don't fill it with a bunch of fluff just to try to sell X, Y, and Z. You really do get an honest, sometimes even bare bones um, 
experience and approach that feels very real. But as you do this, like, you know, do you want to get into the TV side of this stuff? Like where, where, where does Becky see herself as time moves on? I think my purpose has changed a lot over the past few years. I started an account to occupy the space on the two days off that I had a week as I was working in the funeral home. As of January of last year, I left the funeral home. I leave the funeral home and I think that was the year I needed to process. I was offered to write a book a long time before this, but I wasn't ready. The story wasn't complete yet. I needed a year to go, what did I just go through? What is my purpose? And now I've kind of came into this role as someone who acknowledges grief, acknowledges the afterlife, and it's like a blended thing. And a lot of people, when I gave my first lecture, were saying, I don't know why more people in the paranormal are not talking about the bridge between the living and the dead, the transition, the uh, role of grief into what is manifesting. And what better person to do it than someone who has gone through mortuary school and obtained a license, worked in the field, and seen the pandemic. A lot of people aren't talking about the pandemic, yet we have tuberculosis sanatoriums that are haunted. We have all these places that are haunted that are involved with, I think, people wanting to be remembered. And so when people are categorized as just the number, as just the statistic in a pandemic, they want to be heard. And we just had one. And a pandemic is going to interest people in the afterlife as well. So um, these are things that have kind of like made sense for me. And I've becoming, I'm becoming more of this person that likes to discuss theories as opposed to making TikToks. My TikToks is, have obviously become second. Um, I think that's, I've, I've matured. My voice has matured compared to the first episode. Listen to that, that we talked about and listen to what we're talking about today and how yeah. much more uh, rounded and in depth my thoughts have become about this stuff and how complicated it's become. It's no longer that. And I've always had a brainstorm mind. So um, the investigations have no longer become how spooky can it get? It's becoming, it's becoming, how can I empathize? How can I get on the level? How can I speak to whoever's here with the same level of dignity that I would with the family of the bereaved. Um, so looking forward to this year, uh, I have two documentaries coming out. Um, one, which was like just me speaking on uh, a collection of haunted locations across the United States. The second one was actually a graveyard ghost hunt. Um, well, paranormal investigation ghost hunt, is, I guess the term is, you know, kind of on its way out, but a paranormal investigation. And I actually didn't investigate in the actual cemetery because I, I, I feel weird about bringing equipment into someone's resting space, but we did um, the perimeter where the ghost town was. So that will be released. Hmm. That being said, I don't, I no longer have goals about vanity metrics I don't care if I get 200 likes on a post. I have 100,000 followers on Instagram and I posted something say that got like 200 likes. And I'm like, I don't, I do not care anymore about that. Um, I don't care about what I look like anymore. I posted a video for without makeup for the first time recently. And it's been more about finding answers, exhausting anything, being vulnerable. And yeah, I do want to get my book out. I do want to bring it to people what it's like from the inside, not just this outward like aesthetic thing that I've kind of pushed and I think it was really validating the other day to do a live investigation and have a bunch of people just sit in a haunted space with you 
They didn't expect me to, you know, make equipment go off. And in fact, there was one point someone was like, where's the equipment? I don't understand. And I threw a cat ball like on the bed and, and everyone was just like laughing. They're like, oh my gosh. And I was like, there, you can watch it go off. It doesn't mean anything. Like <laughs> equipment being triggered doesn't mean anything, yeah. but if it makes you feel happy, I'm not going to react to it going off because especially the cat balls, you know, they're fun. Um, and again, I don't think any one way is better, but in the context, if we're having activity without it, why are we in including it in this investigation? Yeah. So the book is my main goal. Um, everything else is second. Um, I've seen a lot this year. I've seen more this year than I thought I would see for the entire year in one month. So, um, I don't know what's next. Um, hopefully more lectures. Uh, you know, I gave the grief and ghost hunting lecture for the first time at the strange escapes event. And um, you know, with Amy Bruni runs that, and it was in front of some of the people in the field that I respect so much. And when they posted on Twitter about how much it moved them, and someone stood up and was crying. I'm like, I'm in the right place. I don't care anymore about the mortuary community thinking what I'm doing is disrespectful or hokey or goth or whatever. I, I'm where I need to be. And I moved people and I made them think about uh, memorializing people and valuing funerals in a context that they weren't talking about. So, and I taught a lot of people about um, how honored I was to work funerals of other cultures and I'm being trusted in that way. So I think I'm where I need to be. I think books are something that I was always designed to do. I, I've been talking a lot about how in eighth grade, you know, my teacher wrote one time on a journal that I turned in and said, you're going to be an author. It's inevitable. So that's the theme of this year. Book first. I've locked myself inside and got a chapter down and I just need to get the rest together. It, it finally flows. You're an inspiration to us. We love having you on. I think one of the real gifts that this podcast has given me is to help people get their voices out there in a long form medium, especially when, at least at some point, they've traditionally been kind of boxed into a short form medium like TikTok, Instagram, things mm -hmm. like that. And uh, it's been really cool to see your growth and just, just everything that is going on. And of course, anything we can ever do to help, you know, promote a book or anything like that, we're always here um, in that way. And yeah, thanks for trusting us with your stories and your opinions and thoughts. And um, Catherine, do you have any questions for Becky before we wrap up? I don't have any questions. I just want to kind of echo what Noah just said. Thank you so much for the, for the inspiration. I was taking notes during this entire <laughs> this entire interview just because there's there's so much valuable information there, and it's such an interesting spin and such a respectful spin and this space needs so much more of that. And I think you're going to find over the coming years that the funeral um, industry is going to kind of shift in the direction that you are looking for it to in general. I don't think it will be taboo anymore for you. I think you're going to pioneer part of this shift and it, it's really cool to witness. So I'm honored that I was able to be a part of this and share space with you. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Becky, for the uninitiated who are discovering you for the very first time on this episode, where can they find everything you have going on? So right now I'm still my bloody Valentine on TikTok and Instagram. There is no blue check. So uh, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter how much uh, publicity you get. So just my bloody Valentine. And um, I also have documentaries coming out uh, on Tubi. You know, I've appeared on them before. So yeah. if you're looking to watch that, uh, there's going to be a documentary coming out about scariest locations in May. And um, I'm just appearing as a historian on there. They actually had me speaking of 13 locations in like 
four hours. I was like, my brain. Oh my gosh. And and then the next one, um, Ghosts in the Graveyards, Pure Pandemonium is going to be on Amazon and a few other streaming services with the guys from Dockside Media. That comes out April 25th. Amazing. Well, kudos to everything you're doing. I think Becky is a great example that while sometimes people may get lucky and get a flash, it takes a lot of hard work to continue doing what you want to do, stay in the space that you enjoy. And if you're lucky enough to have the drive that Becky has, not only do you stay in the space, but you expand it for everybody else. So thank you for that. And Catherine, if um, somehow our fans have not heard of you yet, uh, as many times as you've been on to help co-host and things of that nature and guest, where can they find everything you have going on? Catherine Ann Intuitive on TikTok is going to be your best bet or put a couple periods between Catherine and Ann and Intuitive. Wow, that got twisted. And I'm on Instagram. You know what? Click the links. It's all there in the bio. <laughs> Thank you so much. And murder and mediumship as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. How do I forget my podcast? My brain is shut down now at this point too. Um, yes, I have a podcast. Uh, it's called Murder and Mediumship. And we kind, we're kind of looking to bridge the gaps between um, mediumship and understanding that it's not just some taboo woo-woo world and it can be used in a more productive and um, meaningful way to help people in their healing process. So I'm just so honored to have met you and learned even more. So go listen to Murder and Mediumship too. We've got a great episode with Noah on there also. Thank you. Well, guys, this has been great. Um, thank you both for being here. And Becky, I know the last thing you probably want to do is go at the end of this, yeah. but I am going to ask you to stick around and do it. With that, I'm Noah Daniels. I'm Catherine. I'm Becky. <laughs> Weak woo. <laughs> Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 